Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Uh, our series of What's Next, and we've been talking about the idea of eternity. The first week we talked about hell, the second week we talked about heaven, and today our message title is Eyes on the Prize. Look at your neighbor and say, Eyes on the Prize. And I want to start off with this question. Do we receive heavenly rewards for things that we do? Do we receive heavenly rewards for things that we do? It is a, a really common question that I've heard, and it's the idea of rewards in heaven for our actions here on earth. Anyone here heard that before, thought about it, read a scientific magazine about it? Um, and I want to share with y'all guys this verse. Um, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, it says, this is Jesus talking, says, Watch out! Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward... From your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. So starting off with um, our first point of heavenly rewards, this idea of heavenly rewards is that everything that we're doing on earth is building up something for eternity. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And the Bible has so many points of reference of this idea of rewards in heaven. And the, at the same time, though, all of these perceptions of it are really vague. And so I don't necessarily think that we can like build up a reward of like a nice lazy boy recliner you know what i'm saying i don't know what these rewards would look like in heaven but the bible says that there are some some uh, rewards for us for the things that we we do here on earth and the only way that we can even have access to uh, being rewarded for something because the Bible says that not one human being is good. We're all wicked and that we are credited righteousness through Jesus's blood on the cross. And so what that means is no one has access. Uh, we're all broke in the heavenly world and Jesus has credited us righteousness through the cross. He's credited us something and said, and it's something that we don't necessarily pay back. It's just we continue to use what he's given us here on earth. And anyone that has had a credit card before, you learn after the first like three months or so that that money was never really yours. <laughs> it, it was just it was given to you, but it wasn't yours to begin with. And you have to pay it back. Right. <laughs> well, Jesus is the best creditor because he's made a way for us to where we are not uh, in debt. We are we are uh, liberated in Christ. But. The, the, so the idea of giving rewarded only comes after through this credited righteousness because there's nothing that we can earn out of God's love. There's no there's no amount, uh, we can't earn our way to heaven. We can't earn things um, our way to make it there. We are only saved by grace. And so let me read you all uh, some verses in Revelation chapter three, verse 17 through 18. 
And I wanted to share this verse to give a clearer idea of what um, the way, another way that Jesus describes rewards in heaven. This is Jesus talking in Revelation. He says, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. And see, this is a really interesting imagery that Jesus paints for us. He's talking to a church, the church that's being known as being lukewarm. And he's saying, you think that you're rich, but you have nothing. And it's, he's painting this imagery that here on earth, uh, this, the people of this church have their needs provided for. They don't lack anything. Uh, and they, they feel comfortable in this world. And Jesus is telling them, even though you feel comfortable now, eternity is a lot longer than your time here on earth. And you are about to enter in a place where you have nothing because you've been so comfortable, you haven't built anything up in heaven. It's almost like he's painting this imagery that our lifestyle in heaven is determined by our works here on earth. Y'all follow what I'm saying? To the point where he even gives this imagery that you'd be naked, walking around heaven naked without clothes um, it, as, a, as a symbol of whatever you did here on earth. Isn't that kind of a really bizarre idea to have? He says, even ointment for your eyes so that you can see clearly. I mean, th- these are, it's almost like the commodities are heaven are out of this world. There's no way we can really understand what he's trying to tell us. Besides that, even though we are going to get to heaven, what it's like when we get there determined, is determined by what we do here on earth. Y'all follow me? And I want to I talk real quick about two, uh, several kinds of rewardings. Like what is it that really – do we just give to a homeless person on the, on the corner of the highway and that's how we get rewards in heaven? Do we, um, do we empty out our bank account, give all of the, our savings to a random person to try to get a quick, a quick rich scheme in heaven? Um, there, there's different kinds of actions that we perform here on earth that are described as being rewarded uh, in eternity. And so some of these is starting out simple obedience, simple obedience. When you feel like God is telling you to do something and obeying that calling, uh, when, uh, other forms of obedience, even just the simple things that the Bible describes to us of how to live as Christians of obeying that word, that just simple obedience, God rewards. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Um, then uh, above and beyond obedience is righteous actions. Doing something that you don't have to do, but you feel compelled to do. A, a selfless act of yourself, that's a righteous act for the betterment of somebody else. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And, I, and I'll be frank with you guys. I personally think that modern day American church is relatively good at like the basics of obedience. Like most people that go to church have a general understanding of like, don't do this, don't do that, do that, do this. But when it comes to the righteous actions part, doing what you know you ought to do, I feel like that's where we as a church fall short. And there's so often where we excuse ourselves from doing the right thing by saying, I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to pray about that. Everyone said that before, right? 
Like, oh man, I'm it's like, hey, are you going to try out uh, church on Sunday? I'm going to pray about that. Like, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's such an a easy cop-out for us that sounds spiritual when we, the answer is so simple. There's a need that needs to be acted upon, and we excuse ourselves with a spiritual-sounding thing. I need to pray about it. Some other things is uh, simple generosity. The Bible uh, the Bible talks about generosity being, uh, being described as almost like we're sowing seeds uh, of generosity and that when we do that, we reap what we sow. And it's the idea of uh, the Bible uses generosity here on this earth more of a, an analogy of the comfortability we receive here on earth. But it also describes of how when we are generous, how it stores up things in heaven. Um, and then there's two other ones that I want to talk about. One is soul winning. When we are witnesses for Christ, when we bring other people to church, when we bring other people to Christ, that those are that God is so is blessed by that. It brings him so much joy when we win pre- people to Christ that the Bible literally describes the joy from God is so much that just when one person is brought to Christ, that all of heaven rejoices. It's described that God is so joyful at one sinner coming to Jesus that all of heaven is just compelled by God's joy and it changes the whole atmosphere in heaven to where there's a giant party. And it, soul winning is such an amazing opportunity that every Christian has. And it's another thing that is usually the most neglected thing. And uh, we'll get more into that in just a minute. But the last thing I wanted to share as an idea of receiving heavenly rewards is did you know that even just zeal for God enthusiasm for Christ is something that God rewards. And I'll look at a story in the Old Testament as a comparison. And I'm really grateful for the grace of God now after Jesus Christ. But when you look at the Old Testament, there's so many different acts of zeal and enthusiasm for the name of God. And every single time someone just, they didn't have to do it, but because they were so moved by wanting to, uh, by God's heart, they would do things that were almost like overboard for God. And uh, one example is David. Uh, it, he already was super obedient to God. He was so, uh, even when he had the chance to kill Saul, the king that was chasing him down, he refused, even though it seemed as though God gave him the opportunity to get the, the justice he deserved. He refused just out of the idea, well, that king is God's anointed and I'm not going to do anything against him. Even though it looked like God even just gave him to his hands. Everyone else saw it, but he's like, I don't even want, even if God did put him before me, I, I respect God's opinion of him being the king so much that I'm not even going to do anything. That's like, like almost like stupid zeal, like ridiculous, like going above and beyond. Another time was in the times of Moses where all of Israel started rebelling against God and God had given them strict rules as a country to not uh, give themselves into marriage to the, to the pagan nations of the land because God was raising up a single country to be a priest to the world. And so uh, this is a moment where we don't see God making a universal law for all of the world to only stick to their ethnicity or culture, but just specifically to Israel because he was raising them up to be a priesthood to the whole world. So that's why God was telling them that. What they did is that they went into the pagan nations of the land and they, they just started sleeping around with them. And even uh, it was getting to a point where there was a plague over all of Israel. 
And while they were talking about what they needed to do to repent as a nation and saying that we need to stop this, this madness right now and come back to God um, or we're never going to make it. And even while they were uh, discussing as, the, as, a, as a country and as a leadership, there was a, a, one of the Israel leaders, one of the tribe leaders is taking in front of the whole assembly no, no uh, respect for what they were talking about, but it was just being led by his sexual passion. And he was, just, he was taking one of the pagan women to go sleep with her in a tent right in front of the assembly. And so it was just complete disrespect, com- uh, chucking off all responsibility of being a part of the group. And, and God had already made judgment over Israel saying, this is not how it's going to be. And one guy named Phineas or Phinehas, however you want to pronounce it, was so zealous and that he already knew that God was going to purge the country that he goes in that tent while they're getting busy with a spear and kills them both. <laughs> like he was just overly excited, all right? I don't think anybody here should go spearing anybody, all right? But he, he was so zealous for what God was telling them to do is like, oh, I'm going to fix this right now. Like, you can't just be coming. Like, we're trying to get right with God, not get farther away. And, and God honored his zeal. said, man, because you were so excited about this, and God rewarded him for that. And not, it, it's not God's heart. We, just like we learned last week, God's heart is not for anybody to, to be punished. God's heart is, is patience for his people. That he doesn't even take pleasure in punishing the wicked. But the zeal that we're talking about is an excitement for the things that God is doing. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so let me read y'all this verse and we're going to go back to the idea of soul winning. It says, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. I always think of Legos when I read this verse. <laughs> an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. And so this is Paul talking to the church of Corinth. And what this is describing is, one, I want to preface that this is not a a condemnation message. This is not to make anyone nervous or scared. But this is to show us that that God is, uh, is showing us that it's not just what we do, but how we do it. I want you to think about um, how, how scrutinized uh, churches are today. And the Bible tells us that church leaders are, are going to be judged more severely than just normal Christians. But if you've ever gone to a church where it, it seems like there's no real, it's like more so Jesus is a tagline at the end of the message. And the whole message is more about like living your best life than it is about how to be a Christian or learning about Jesus. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And this idea where we make a church just more of like a self-help thing rather than about a Jesus thing or a God thing. If it's more about how we can better our lives rather than it is about God edifying our lives. It, this is what Paul's describing as being making buildings out of straw and that it, it's going to go through fire. It's not going to last. And for me, I was never raised in church 
But one thing I, I love asking people is, why did you give your life to Christ? And most people usually say, my life was either really good or really bad. I've really needed God or God has just been really good to me. And it's very rare that someone says what the Bible says is our reason for our faith, which is that Jesus rose from the dead. And the idea of putting our faith in God just because of our circumstances is building our own home of faith for eternity with straw and wood that's going to be burnt up. Because anyone that's been alive long enough knows that our circumstances are destined to change. That anyone that had a good life at one point is going to run into some caca at another point. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And everyone that's been in a bad situation, it eventually gets better. And then it gets worse again. <laughs> but that's just how, that's how this world is. And so the Bible's telling us that whenever we're doing, uh, whenever we're even bringing others to Christ, that we should br- be bringing them not as a sales technique to where we just like, like, oh yeah, you can just come to church however you want. And as long as you just say you're a Christian, you're going to make it. Well, if, if someone really doesn't see Jesus as being uh, the savior of the world, well, then there's going to be a lot of confusion on Judgment Day. And, and that we would be building that person's house with straw and wood. We wouldn't be telling them how valuable the jewels are of knowing that Jesus is the way. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And even looking at like the... This, this, these verses apply to everything else we do. That when we're, if we're doing something for somebody else... God sees it. He knows what we're building with. And so even the idea of doing a good deed with your heart's intention of selfish gain is building, a, is building with straw and wood. It's going to be burned up. Y'all dig what I'm saying? It's like, you know, you guys have been coming to this church long enough. Y'all know that we don't really do like a, a big offering call. Just those who are compelled to give, give. And I've been in church for about 10 years now since I gave my life to Christ back in 2009. And I don't know how many times I heard messages where it's like, you, you got to give today because uh, God's going to give back to you. And it's, I, I've heard uh, preachers say, if you start tithing right now, even if you don't believe in God, he's bound to bless you. <laughs> he's going he's to bless you and provide for your needs. I mean, I, I don't know how many, I, I remember one late night, I saw this infomercial of this dude selling some holy water. And all you have to do is call 1-800-BLESS-ME and you get and pay like $10 to get your holy water, pay X amount of money, give your offering over the phone. And, it, and people believe it. People, people trust a, a person that says that they're a man of God, a woman of God. And all of that is just bogus. That God, God is not a dummy. He doesn't position himself to forcibly bless somebody that doesn't have any respect for him, that has no respect of God. Y'all dig what I'm saying? He, he's not just this, this robot that uh, has just these rules that are immovable and even he can't, you know, it, he, he's all about relationship. And if you, it, even if someone was saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, but it's more like a hell insurance. Like, I just don't want to go to hell. That's why I believe in God. Well, God desires so much more than that. That's not going to be enough on Judgment Day because he desires a, a real relationship with you, a lifestyle with you. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so what we're building up here on earth is what we're building up here on, in heaven. And we are building with materials based off of our intentions and our actions. So it's important for us to understand that it's not just what we do, 
but how we do it. We don't, if you're going to give, uh, if you're going to be generous to another person, you don't make them feel guilty <laughs> about your generosity. Anyone ever have someone give you something and they're like, now only use it for this, okay? <laughs> it, there's, there's people that give to church like that. Like, I'm going to buy the Kleenexes for the church. Or I'm going to, I only want this money to go to, you know, X, Y, Z. And that's like not really generosity. That generosity is without ties to it. I love giving to, I, whenever I give to a homeless person, I, I, I don't even care what they do with it. It's just out of the simple compelling in my heart to give it's not out of the desire to control what they do with it and there's been even a time where i this guy asked me outside of a 7-eleven uh if i could get him something uh if he had any money i said well i just have a card let me get you something inside and so i said just go pick out something and and uh, i'm gonna use the restroom and i'll pay for it at the counter i come back and he just had like some 40s <laughs> he had some 40s and, and uh and some cigarettes and he's like ah, i just gonna get some cigarettes I was like, dang, man, like, <laughs> I'm not, cigarettes are expensive, man. I'm not trying to go all out for you. I'm just trying to help you out. <laughs> and so he felt kind of embarrassed. like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. And he started putting stuff back. I was like, well, you could get your 40 and just get a sandwich or something else. <laughs> it's not like I want him to drink or, or uh, get drunk that day. But my generosity is, is to, to give and be generous. What he does with it, that's between him and God. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Some of y'all are like, man, I can't believe the pastor bought that guy's 40 ounce. <laughs> God said for me to be a blessing to others, all right? <laughs> and so as we close out this idea of heavenly rewards, that's the biggest thing I want you to take away. That it's not just what you do here on earth, but how you do it. Y'all feel me? So let's, let's go into this, uh, the idea of being earthly stewards. Earthly stewards. Let me read y'all a couple of verses in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 to 37. It says, and I tell you this, you must give account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. In Romans chapter 14, verse 12, it says, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. And James 4, 17 says, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. So I wanted to share these verses as, a, as just scriptural background that the Bible makes it really clear that God is, is calling us to account on Judgment Day. And when Judgment Day isn't a day that we as Christians should be afraid of. I don't care whatever good I do on Judgment Day, I'm going to be on my knees saying, Jesus, I deserve hell, but, but have mercy on me. No matter what good I think I've done here on earth. Because... That's, that's what makes us Christians is, the, is that we cling to the grace of God. We cling to Jesus. We, we didn't do anything to deserve God's love, yet he gave it to us anyway. And so this idea of judgment day, is a, the Bible says is a day of mercy for us as Christians. That we will not be judged uh, for going to heaven or hell. That we already made it. But we still have to give account for what we did here on earth. And we are stewards of Everything that the Bible says that everything we say, I mean, look, y'all that know me know that I can talk a lot and I've probably said some crazy things just this weekend. (laughs) Thanks, Edward. (laughs) I I say things all the time and I, there's times where I think about you. I'm like, dang, I need to shut up. (laughs) I'm, I'm talking way too much. And 
And I'm, so I'll be the first one to, to lay myself down and say, like, yeah, I need to check myself. But the Bible is saying that not, not only every word, every action. And James says even things that we knew we ought to do. So th- that means that we didn't even have to do anything wrong. <laughs> Just something that, that we're, God told us or gave us a conscience to do something. And if we refuse to do it, God's like, hey, remember when I like that one feeling you had? I told I was trying to tell you to do something. Why didn't you just do it? I mean, that, that's crazy to think about. It's hard for me to even fathom how, how critiquing that would feel like. And yet, and the Bible even says that our own consciences, our own subconscious that God gave us will speak against us on judgment day. So the minute they were like, well, God, I didn't really know. Your conscience is going to be outside of you. I'm like, no, we knew. <laughs> we knew, yeah. It, and so there's no, there's no getting around it. Y'all feel me? And so I say that not to give any false perception of us having to be perfect. That's just a false reality. Perfection is something that we'll never achieve, but we could always be walking towards. Some slower than others. <laughs> I think that those who are actually faster than others are those who think that they're slower than others. But... We have to give account for everything that, that, uh, that we've done here on earth. And I want to I paint a broader picture to you. It's not just doing a good deed or putting a coin in someone's cup. But it's even the, our, our stewardship over our families. The stewardship over the relationships we have on earth. It, uh, imagine if you were to give God a, a, your bank statement. And he was going down the list like, so when you bought this, do you think that was edifying to the Holy Spirit? It's like, shoot. Like, <laughs> I mean, again, I'm not saying this. I'll be the first one to say like, no, I've, made, I've, I've probably stifled the Holy Spirit today before, before church. What I'm getting at is for us to be a more mindful people to know that what we're doing, that God is walking with us. God is closer to you than you think. And that it is so easy to please him. It's so easy to please him. And that God is not waiting to just like smack you. <laughs> He's not waiting to slam dunk us to hell. <laughs> he, he, he is so pleased with you. It, it, it's abnormal. But we should strive to be better stewards of what we take care of. As a pastor, one thing that, that, that breaks my heart is one of the biggest things that is criticized about pastors, and this is coming from pastors themselves, is that they were better stewards of the church than their own families. And there's so often that pastors, their own kids, hate church more than anything else because they never got to have their dad. Because their dad was always having, uh, taking the next thing at church. And see, I'm, I'm describing all this to you to tell you that all of us are broken. All of us are broken people that there's not one pastor that that is not broken, but we all as a group as Christians are should be more mindful that man, this is my family. God, God, like, yeah, my wife said yes to me, but God allowed my wife to marry me. I'm a steward of my wife and anyone that's married or been in a relationship before, you know that you, your significant other is usually wrong, right? Like yeah. There's, I don't know how many times where in my head I was like, man, I don't want to see how she just doesn't get it. Like, I'm right. She's wrong. God help her. <laughs> That's how we always think about it, right? But I think the best moments that God has taught me 
is when he, re- he helped me to realize that it's not even about who's right or wrong, but me being a steward over my wife's love. And do I really care if I'm right, if it's going to hurt our love? Y'all dig what I'm saying? That there's some moments where we should just be stewards of the relationship and just put something behind us where we don't even have to figure out who's right or wrong. We just need to, to go back to loving one another. Because that's the that's wife that we got. That's the husband that we got. That's the, that's the child that we got. That's the mom or dad that we got. And that we should just do our best to steward and foster that relationship even when the other person doesn't want to. Because we have to give account of how we acted and behaved to that relationship. Y'all feel me? And every, every other part, family, our, our finances, we have to give stewardship to that. And, and especially Christ's image to others. The Bible says that we're ambassadors of Christ. We are a reflection of Christ to other people. And I'm sure everybody here has, an, has had an experience at some point where someone gave you a bad image of Christ or God in your life. When I was driving for Uber and Lyft, I always ask people, so like, are you in a church or anything? <laughs> I try to make it really vague in case they're ready to like hit me in the back of the head. <laughs> so are you in a church or anything like that? And usually every, uh, most of the people tell me that they used to be, but not anymore because they got hurt at church. Because something was said or something was done. And even just any conversation, if you go to a party or hang out with a group of friends, outside of church, don't you notice that usually everybody has a bad taste in their mouth when it comes to church? Because someone ruined it for them. And no matter whether it was petty, whether it was right or wrong, we are Christ's image to others people. And the Bible tells us to live above reproach. That Paul literally tells us that if someone has wronged you, why not just let yourself be wronged so that you could be a good representation of Christ instead of you being justified? That's hardcore. <laughs> but he says, isn't their soul worth more than whatever your lawnmower? <laughs> isn't your soul worth more than whatever it is that they owe you? And when you really break it down, it's like, well, yeah, that's true. But we've been, as we've been, we're so much more ready to defend ourselves and get justice for for those times we've been unjustified because we deserve to be right. We deserve to be vindicated. The Bible says to let God vindicate you. It would be better for you to just let him take it up for you instead of you do it yourself. And the reason I'm saying this is because there, there are too many people in this world, in this city, that have been hurt by Christians, by church. And we know if you... If you have a real relationship with some, with the church family, with some real Christians, you know that those are some of the nicest loving people you've ever met. And if at the same time, if you've been in a church family long enough, you can also find the group that's like, that's some of the meanest, angriest, ugliest people I've ever met in my life. I've told y'all before, when I went to ministry school in Baton Rouge, when I, uh, when I first started getting in ministry, those guys were the most perverted, craziest guys I've ever met in my life. I got more fights going to a ministry school than I did out on the streets. <laughs> They're just, it just, you can find the, the ugliest kinds of people in church, but you can also find some of the most genuine people. And, and we need to be the people that God has called us to be and not worry about who, uh, who X, Y, Z should start acting like. Well, they need to start being like this. They, they're not real Christians. They're not this or that. That. We don't need to worry about that. Let's just do our part 
You know, there's a verse where God's, Jesus says, before looking at the, the speck of dust in your brother's eye, get the plank out of your own. And there's times I can be naturally critical of others. I'm an observer. And I, right away, I can tell if I not like somebody or not. You know, anyone like that in here? Like you can find out if you like somebody right away. All right, some honest people. And, and there's been so many times where in my head, I'm just like, you faker. Like, you, I, I start getting all critical and judgmental. Like you're phony. Like, man, I, like this person just needs to get beat up one time. Then they'll learn. Like, <laughs> That is a belief of mine. Some people just need to get beat up one time and then that's just all they needed their whole life. (laughs) And then the minute I start thinking like that, God's like, yeah, you do too, probably. (laughs) Yeah, I I bet everyone thinks the same thing about you. And I was like, dang, that's true. And I, I think that we could just focus on trying to love our neighbor and just focusing on that. We could spend the rest of our lives trying to do that and and still not achieve it. Y'all dig what I'm saying? We should just be trying to love our neighbor, not criticize them, judge them. Let's just do our best to love them as Christians. Y'all feel me? I think that's the best way that we can be stewards of Christ's image. And so with ending on, on this thought is when being earthly stewards, that means that we are constantly either building something up or tearing it down. And I want you to, to have that idea in your mind as a, as, a, as a lifestyle, is that have a moment where you check yourself. Am I building somebody up? Am I building something up for myself or am I tearing it down right now by how I'm acting? Y'all feel me? It's the best, uh, and you'll know, the Holy Spirit will tell you right away. Ask the Holy Spirit that and he'll tell you like, tearing it down. <laughs> no, you okay, you're building it up. But generally, if we have to ask that question, we're probably tearing down, right? But let's, let's just keep that in our heads and our minds that we're building something. That's our goal is to build something up. And so finally, being spirit-led. Being spirit-led. In Romans, Paul gives an, uh, an imagery for us that we have a war raging inside of us. That our flesh wants one thing while our spirit connected to God wants another. It's just like that. You remember those old cartoons? There's like a little devil and a little angel on your shoulder. And they're just whispering which, which thing you should do. And they both sound like you. Well, that's what Paul describes in Romans. Saying this war waging inside of us. And I've noticed that the little devil on my shoulder of my flesh is usually a lot more creative <laughs> than the, the Holy Spirit one, right? It's, it's usually a lot more detailed. It's like... Like, you don't just think like, you know, I, I need to tell him how I feel. No, the devil one on your shoulder is like, no, you need to give him peace of your mind. You need to tell him this, that, go all the way back to here, go over there. It gets really detailed, right? And the Holy Spirit, it's just like, I think you should let it go. <laughs> it's real simple. And, and I want to read you all this verse in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 26 says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. 
Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. I love this verse. This is what is known as the fruits of the Spirit. All those things that I just listed. And notice that at this part of, of the Bible, that Paul isn't just, uh, like Paul is trying to tell us. Have you ever heard that term that baby Christians are fed by milk, but more mature Christians are eat on meat and have full meals. Anyone ever hear something like that? Paul describes in the Bible that there's baby Christians and more mature Christians. And he describes the milk that when we're just baby Christians, that milk is just like repentance and uh, forgiveness and the uh, Jesus crucified and resurrected. And the more mature things is what is this right here? Love, joy, peace, patience. And I remember for the longest time, I remember when I thought about love, I was like, oh, check. I got that. I can do that. No problem. And one day I started really thinking about it. I was like, man, this is like a gift of the Holy Spirit. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there's a whole thing where Paul says love is greater than anything else. That even if you did miracles without love, it'd be worthless. So I started realizing that love is kind of a bigger deal than I think, than I thought. And when he's talking about being spirit-led, saying following the Spirit's leadings instead of our passions and our desires. It, it, and it says that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. It's like, man, I didn't even realize that I need the Holy Spirit to raise my kids. <laughs> Just patience. Do you know the other day, my daughter is, what, about to be 15 months old, Joy. She threw a fork at me. Like a plastic fork. And I didn't even know a baby that little could give attitude. And I looked at Lauren. I was like, well, she needs to start getting spanked then. <laughs> she's, she's ready. She's, the minute you start giving attitude, you just entered into your, your consequence zone. <laughs> You're old enough. And I remember I was just like, I was so blown away. And then there was one time where she was just making a mess. She was like getting the food and throwing it on the floor because that's cute as a baby, right? And I just told my daughter, like, Joy, stop. Like, just very casual. Pl- I didn't even, like, get after her. I was like, don't do that. And she looks at dead in my eyes, like in my soul, squints her eyebrows to show me that she is upset with me, if not downright angry, and then quickly turns her head and goes, uh, <laughs> and refuses to look back at my eyes. <laughs> I don't know where she learned that from. I think it's just her natural sinful nature just coming out. <laughs> Although, i got to say that some of those shows on Netflix, like Word Party, there's this one character, Lulu, in that kid's show, and she's always given attitude, so I think that it might be that. But anyway, and I didn't even realize that just for this baby, precious little girl that I love so much, I need the fruit of the Spirit to lead me. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Now, that's just a baby. A baby doesn't even know what they're doing. Now look at a full-grown adult. How much more do we need that, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like self-control and patience and love and kindness? The Bible says that these are gifts for you because you don't got them. <laughs> we, we're not naturally kind when someone irritates us, right? <laughs> That's not the first thing we think about. And I want you to get in your head that the Holy Spirit, the, when you become a Christian, when you ask for Jesus to be the Lord of your life, the Savior of your soul, that there's, there's a, the process of even being baptized by the Holy Spirit, having the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And that when we do that, 
God has made a covenant with us in Jesus. And that he doesn't just so quickly leave us or abandon us, but that he is doing his, he's doing his part in leading us and directing us. And tell me this, has anyone here ever felt that just like that weird feeling like you ought to do something? Feel like this unction? It's like that little tingle inside of you. And it, it might be something simple as you should pay for that person's gas or you should pay for their food. Or it might be something a little more like kind of scary, like you should go pray for your coworker. You, you see somebody in a wheelchair and you're like, you should go pray for them. And it's those parts where you're just like, that's not God. <laughs> that's obviously my flesh <laughs> working against me. I need to be led by the spirit instead. I remember there was a time where I felt so strongly that I needed to go invite this person to church. I knew them in high school and I, and I, I saw them at a shop that I was delivering at. And I remember I was walking back to my truck and I felt so strongly that I, I needed to go back there and talk to him about God, invite him to church or something. And I, I was like, no, <laughs> like I just saw him like, you know, we just got things started. You know, let me wait some time. Because it's too awkward right now. And we don't want to be awkward. And so I got my check. And I felt like I felt so ugly inside my chest. And I was literally like there. And I just like hit my steering wheel. was like, okay. And I got all the way out. And I was walking back up. And I was like, I'm going to go tell this guy about church right now. Because I have to. And, and then he goes into the restroom right when I was walking up. I was like, oh, well, I guess I can't. And I was, got in the truck, turned it on, didn't even think about it. Drove off as fast as I could. And I was like, well, I guess it was impossible for me to wait for him to come out of the restroom. And the next time, I, it was the same thing. I made another excuse of why today wasn't a good day. The next day, the next time I saw him, a week later, two weeks later, I just kept making an excuse of why it wasn't a good day for me to share the love of Christ to him. And then one day I showed up and I was talking to the owner and I said, hey, where's, where's that one guy? Where's so-and-so? I haven't seen him. He said, oh man, he, he got into a car wreck. He died. He died just the, the other day. And man, I never felt such a sinking feeling in my chest because I knew that I was told to do something by the Holy Spirit and I didn't do it. And I'm, I'm not trying to say that, that I was that one person's reliance, like God didn't send anybody else, but to know that God trusted me with an opportunity and I turned it down. And I didn't even realize that was a life and death opportunity. And how, now think about how many times we ignore the Holy Spirit because it's awkward, it's uncomfortable. And what if we were really, if God would give us a glimpse of the depth he was really using us at, how much more would we be willing to do something? I want to read you all this last verse. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 through 22, it says, Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good and stay away from every kind of evil. That first sentence is do not stifle the Holy Spirit. That, that means is do not ignore the Holy Spirit. If you, get, if you have any, any, even just an inkling, even if it is just a little tingling of your soul, what if the Holy Spirit is really yelling at you? But you've grown so desensitized because you've ignored him so many times that now those screams just seem like little whispers. And 
the Bible gives us this, this portrayal that if we are faithful with little things, God will trust us with greater things. And even if it is, just point, if we feel that little tingle to put a coin in somebody's cup asking for money, I, I am down to start there and work my way up. But if I ignore even the smallest thing, how am I going to ever be obedient to a bigger thing? And that's what being led by the Spirit is, is acknowledging that God is actually speaking to you. Even though you think of yourself lightly, God thinks of you, you as someone very important. You may think that you're the most wicked person, that God would never want to use you. And God is saying, I think of you a lot better than you think of yourself. And so I want us to all close our eyes, bow our heads. And if you're here, and if you have a, a part of yourself, and you feel like the Holy Spirit is nudging you, to start at step one. And that's, that's putting your trust in Jesus Christ. If that's step one for you, I want to encourage you to think about what that is for a moment. Think about how deep and personal Jesus' relationship means. That he was willing to die on the cross for you, for me, for the world, but especially, specifically for you. The Bible says that if you were the only person on the world that would ever choose to trust in him, that Jesus said the cross would be worth it. And because he rose from the dead, it meant that everything he said, everything he did was real, was true. And if you're here right now and you want to make that first step of putting your trust in him, with every eye closed and head bowed, I want you to just lift up your hand. Amen. Amen. I see your hands. And so right where you're at, if you rose your hand, I want you to pray with me. And if you have already entered this relationship with Christ, I want you to just pray this prayer too as a reaffirmation of your faith. Because it takes more than once to tell somebody I love you. I tell my wife I love you every day because the, old, the last time I told her wasn't soon enough. And so pray this prayer too, because the Bible says in the book of Romans that a simple conversation starts this relationship. That's all it takes to start with is a conversation with God. And it says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, that he rose from the dead and died on the cross, that surely you shall be saved, that you shall be in this relationship with him. And so pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I put my trust in you. I want to see myself the way that you see me. As somebody that is loved, forgiven, meaningful, and full of purpose. You died on the cross for my sins and for the sins of the world. And I believe that you rose from the dead. Be the Lord of my life and the Savior to my soul. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed the message today. 
If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.